Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Ryan Hall is a psychiatrist in Central Florida, and he spends a great deal of time also doing forensic work. Dr. Hall, thank you so much for being with us today as we talk about video games and whether they are violent or not. Thank you. It's a complex question, but it's also a basic question, and, and it's one that summarizes what we're trying to do. Are violent video games influencing people in a socially dangerous way? I think that's a very interesting question, and sometimes I think it's the wrong question, because you can always point to examples where somebody has been influenced by the media. Whether you're looking at David Chapman, the man who shot Lennon, who read the book Catcher in the Rye. And I've actually read an article that questions, is Catcher in the Rye a assassination manifesto? Because apparently Leah Harvey Oswald owned a copy of it, David Chapman had a copy of it, and John Hinckley had a copy of it. So did reading this book cause him to go out and do harm? Well, in Chapman's case, we know he sat down and was reading it when the police arrested him. So yes, it obviously influenced him there. But over 20 million copies were published, and you did not have 20 million people go out and do assassination. I think video games fall under kind of the same category. Recently, games like Call of Duty Black Ops have been the largest media releases in history, with 80 million copies being sold. So one of those copies is going to end into the hands of somebody who will do a horrific event. But does that mean that the game is solely responsible? Is it causative? Is it causative or is it a correlation? People who are interested in violence or maybe unbalanced, will they be attracted to violence? If it wasn't video games, would it be comic books? If it wasn't comic books, would it be movies like Taxi Driver? If it wasn't movie, would it be books? At what point do we say that we can have decency standards, we can have common courtesy standards, but that we have to realize we can't protect everyone in society because somebody somewhere will either be attracted to violence or will misread or misinterpret something. It also raises the question as to at what point does a game reach such intensity or style that it is considered violent, and how do we define violence? There's so many points there. I mean, when I think about games and violence, the first time that I can remember my lifetime an issue like this came up was with Dungeons & Dragons. And there were some people, probably some of them who had mental illness, who actually killed themselves when their character died. And what you heard was that people got too wrapped up, the games became their identity, it was too immersive of a fantasy environment. Well, 20 years later now, we're hearing the exact same things with video games, but you don't hear the same worry and concern over role-playing games. Nobody's out there saying we should ban Magic the Gathering. That's one issue that there always seems to be kind of a new or novel entertainment that people are concerned or worried about. As for how we define violence, violence goes back to the days of the Romans and the Greeks. If you read the Iliad, the Odyssey, hear the stories of the gods, there's always been violence in our society and culture at any time. And some of this goes to the notion of play and what is play but to help get us prepared for the world around us. And fortunately, most of us won't be in combat, but that is a realistic thing. Kids have been playing cops and robbers or soldier or army for, for millennia. Is this just the next iteration of it? And the other thing that we also got to remember with violent video games is it's not just kids who are playing it. A large majority of these games are actually sold to adults 
I think depending on the study, you see the average age of a serious gamer is like 30 to 37. And these games do have warning labels. So it's not as if you're having five-year-olds who have $70 to go into the game store and are buying these horrific games. One of the things in front of the courts is that should we restrict the availability of these games to adults and children equally or differently, sometimes it's called a sliding scale. That gets very fascinating because it gets under the First Amendment right. And as far as I'm aware, I think there's been eight court cases that have gone to the appellate level where states have tried to restrict the sale of these games in some way. Some of them made it a, a crime just for the person to sell the games to minors. Some people made it a crime for the minor to have possession of it. And in all the cases, the appellate court has overturned them. And one of them, Brown versus Entertainment Associates, even made it to the U.S. Supreme Court, and that got overturned for violating the First Amendment. What a lot of people have trouble understanding is how can it be illegal to give a Playboy to a child but not one of these video games? And the legal basis of it gets fascinated, but the long story short, Pornography has never been considered a protective form of speech, whereas violence has. You can have political meaning in violence, but, you know, obscenity has no value. And these games are considered an art form. They do tell a story. They do have a lot of the characteristics of movies. So just why you can't ban a movie, you can't ban one of these video games. Now, the industry does have voluntary limits, just like there's the rating system that many of us are familiar with for movies, there's a similar rating system on games. I also was intrigued, actually, that this same style of conversations and debates occurred regarding comic books, in particular Superman. This is a part of history that a lot of people have forgotten about. I, I first heard about it when I was I think in high school, and I debated my history teacher at the time with it, and they said, yeah, there were hearings, but, you know, it was nothing compared to what's going on today. You can actually find the transcripts online, and the Senate for three days debated whether or not comic books were causing harm to children. The debate is eerily similar to what you're seeing with violent video games nowadays. And there was a proponent for it who had actually successfully lobbied and got his comic books banned in Canada. So it's not that this was a trivial thing. Governments actually took action on psychiatrists and psychologists' recommendation. Comic books were distorting perceptions. They were promoting violence. And even comic books that we consider today to be relatively wholesome, Superman, you know, the American way, he thought was dangerous and caused harm to children. And many of the debates and arguments from the comic book age carries over today that you have to not only protect your child, but you've got to protect the child down the street. The people who are selling these images are targeting children to try and give them the inappropriate image or idea. Children are acting on the images they're seeing. They're young and vulnerable, and they don't appreciate that this is fantasy. So all these things have come up before, and what really is surprising is the ad hominem attacks against people who oppose the notion that comic books are harmful, you're also seeing with video games. So many times when I've participated in academic debate, I've had people personally attack me saying, I'm just trying to push the industry line or I'm trying to do something to harm children. And at some point, I think we lose our professional identity and our ability to be believable because a lot of people are crusading with this issue. One of the things that I found just ironic is that the doctor in Canada, his name was Wertham, W-E-R-T-H-A-M. 
and that many years ago there was a Werther, W-E-R-T-H-E-R effect, and the names are so similar. But the Werther effect is one of the early concerns about the effect of media. I think people would be fascinated to know the history of the Werther effect. The Werther effect is one of those kind of things out of history that was rediscovered, I believe, in the 1950s or 60s by a Ph.D. psychologist or sociologist. And what it refers to was a book, uh, I believe, originally written in German called The Sorrows of Wortham. And it was a sappy, melodramatic love story about a young man who wanted a, a woman who didn't obtain her, who then committed suicide. And he did it in a very ritualistic way where he sat down at his desk and he had his jacket on and, and ended up shooting himself in the head with a pistol. And the problem is, is a lot of lovesick adolescents followed suit. So they had a rash of suicides back in, I think, the 1700s, roughly based on this book. And in some countries, they even banned the book. Now, you can still occasionally find copies of it nowadays. And again, it's not great literature. But that's kind of where a lot of people started saying, you know, we see similar effects in media today. So nowadays, when they talk about the Wortham effect, it's more about kind of copycats and group suicides or people hearing about somebody committing suicide on TV and then carrying it out themselves. Any media can have an effect on an individual. Nobody's arguing that. The question is, how does the population as a whole do? And is there a way to protect fragile individuals? And is the best way to do that to have a population-based action or to try and engage people more on an individual level? One of the things that bothers me of the very few violent video games that I've seen is to me they're very offensive. To me they're just killing people, a game of killing. But there are people who argue that this is not across the board bad, that it actually may be a release a release of tension from these games is, is a good effect. Obviously that's an issue in mental health discussions. There's kind of two major theories that come into play when you talk about video games. And I, I may be oversimplifying this here a little bit. We have to remember these are theories, and they may not apply to every individual. But one is the notion of learning theory, that the more people play these games, the more they become desensitized and the more they learn to crave violence or enjoy the release related to violence. The other theory is what's kind of known as the uh, catharsis theory, or I think of as kind of the steam valve theory. You are already angry, you already have frustration from your day, you go home and you shoot at pixelated aliens, and that allows you to express your anger in a healthy way. It's kind of similar to sublimation under the old Freudian notion. You know, you're angry at your father, so you go out and you do a good hit on the football field, and you take that anger and translate it to a different object, one that's more socially acceptable. Those are the two competing theories, and again, on a population level, I don't think we can definitively say one way or the other which theory is occurring the most. You can look at certain individuals, and again, anything to extremes is harmful. So somebody who their whole life is locked in a room playing video games, that's not healthy and something needs to be done. But somebody who plays four or five hours a week, that may not be detrimental to them, and in some ways it may be healthy. And there was actually a study that was done looking at Iranian youth where they were playing kind of violent video games, and they found a bell-shaped curve. So the students who played a moderate amount of games reported the best mental health. The students that either played no video games or an extreme amount of video games reported the least amount of mental health. We have to look at how do we use the video game research to help the individual. But I think trying to pass population-based corrective measures uh, is not going to work, and it's going to backfire like it did with the comic books. 
Canada banned all crime and violent comic books, their crime rate didn't go down. Their juvenile delinquency rate didn't go down. And the ban was unsustainable. Part of what offends a lot of people is when they look at these games, some of them are pretty, shall we say, horrific. They're ugly. Yes. The dismemberment and all sorts of just cruel things. And it's it, it makes one shiver to think that there's actually somebody out there who might enjoy looking at this. But we've had violence in art for a long time. And I apologize, I'm blanking on the name of the museum, but I remember going over to Spain and going to their equivalent of the Metropolitan Art Museum. And they had a lot of late Renaissance religious icons. And every photo was some saint being tortured in a more horrific way. And I actually left this museum of fine art somewhat dysphoric. So violence has been around for a long time and has been expressed in imagery for a long time. That's not new. I know a lot of people even say that the Disney movies have a disproportionate amount of violence given the overall label that it's supposed to be a Disney movie. Right, Bambi's mother getting shot. And again, what this kind of goes to is, although we are individuals and we are civilized, we are still animals in some way. And we do hunt, we do gather, we have to deal with violence that's in our lives. And that's what play is about, is how do you cope, understand, or appreciate violence. I, I remember reading an article, and I apologize, I, I can't remember the exact source of this, but it was talking about the games that children played in concentration camps. And one of the games they played loosely translated as liar, where one person would close their eyes, and one out of ten people would come up and slap them. And then it was the person who got slapped's job to walk down the line and try and figure out who was lying about not slapping them. And again, on the surface, this sounds like an awful game, a cruel game, but it taught survival skills in the situation they were in. So if you knew how to lie, you were less likely to upset the guards. Interesting. So we do have to look at what is play. But again, we also got to remember most of these mature games, most of these quote-unquote violent games are being sold to adults, not to children. It's how do you target, how do you protect. And again, with the recent shootings, that individual was 20 years old. So do you consider them adult? Do you consider them a late child? Where do they follow into the spectrum? Because even if some of the, the bans that have been proposed, like the California law went into effect, he still would have been able to walk into a store or get it off the Internet. Is there a difference, based on what you've seen and observed and read and practiced and so on, between the violence in which the person merely observed it, as in the uh, Roman Colosseum, as in reading a book or watching a movie, versus a video game in which the person actually has a trigger to pull, be it a virtual trigger, nonetheless a trigger? And again, that's one of the big theory questions right now, and one of the things that a lot of proponents of violent video games are really discussing. And there may be a grain of truth in some of this, that because you are more interactive, it's more harmful and damaging to you. What I can tell you, though, is when you actually look at the literature, when you look at what's been testified in front of a lot of the courts, they lump it all together. One of the famous studies that was quoted out of California was that the risk of violence from playing a video game was the same as the risk of violence of watching a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Interesting. So again, when we're talking about the science, we also got to look at, are we measuring the right things? Do the results have meaning? Meaning, do they have significance to the group as a whole? So it takes you two seconds longer to ask somebody if they're okay if they've fallen after playing a violent video game. Is that a significant effect that's long-term and lasting as an indicator for problem behavior down the road? 
or is that a temporary or fluke effect because you have an N of 30? If the majority, not if, because the majority of these games are played by adults, the focus seems to be on its effect on children, and we're not paying enough attention, perhaps, to its effect on adults. And that's a whole different issue. And again, media violence has been studied since the 60s and 70s, you know, whether you're talking about movies or television, and whatever the predominant media is of that generation is usually what people have been saying causes harm and violence and problems. Currently, the president's recommendation for gun violence is not just violent video games, although they were specifically mentioned, but is actually the broader topic of media violence. There's a lot of different impacts with this. Is there a particular set of criteria or markers that a parent, and again, recognizing that the majority of the use is by adults, well, let me, let me rephrase that. Any family member seeing or worrying that their other family member, regardless of the age, is spending too much time with video games, how should one intervene? I think that's an appropriate question. Again, one of the things we should be looking at is how do we help the individual because it may be easier to identify it in the individual. As most people in the mental health field know, it's hard enough to predict who's going to commit suicide with any accuracy. So trying to predict who's going to be violent is equally as problematic, if not more so. But there are certain things. You hear the horrific case studies of people, a lot of them coming out of Asia, who lock themselves in their room for three weeks and all they do is play video games and order pizza be delivered. That's a clear sign there's a problem. On a simpler level, though, a lot of it's similar to what you would tell parents to look out for for drugs. Are they spending a large amount of time on the activity? Has their behavior changed? Has their grades gone downhill? Are they fighting more with their siblings? All these can be a sign of a problem. And again, anything taken to extreme can be problematic. Is the child using video games as a way to isolate? Do they have friends outside the house? If they do, what activities do they participate with that friend? Are all their friends virtual? Is this a Facebook child who does online gaming with people around the country? How many hours a day are they spending on it? I've even seen the word addiction to video games tossed around, and I don't know if it's actually going to be recognized as a formal diagnosis, but it certainly raises the issue. Yeah. I think the word addiction has somewhat been changed a bit. I mean, I've seen a, a support group for people who are addicted to Barnes & Noble. What it used to mean has changed a bit. And people will say, you know, well, playing video games changes the brain chemistry, increases dopamine. Well, so is doing roller coasters. Engaging in life changes the brain chemistry. But there are definitely people out there who, when they stop playing, will have a dip in mood. Now, whether that's addiction or whether that's a normal removal of stimulus, but people can have downs when they stop. Interesting. And one of the stories I like to tell, because I think it shows full circle where a lot of this is going to go. Back in the, in the 50s, we talked about they had the Senate hearings, and they were talking about how comic books were causing juvenile delinquency. And I believe it was 2010 that the American Psychological Association, a researcher got up and was talking about the evils of comic books. And instead of talking about Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman with her sadomasochistic themes of the golden lasso and tying men up, she was talking about the evils of Iron Iron Man. Her comment was something to the effect of, these aren't the good comic book heroes of old that taught kids morality and, and tales and to be virtuous and honest. These are drunkards and womanizers. And it's just interesting that whatever generation you're in, you view it as the most harmful and you romanticize the past. It's going to be interesting to see going forward, 30 years, are people going to be bemoaning how the new video games with 3D or virtual reality are truly the harmful ones unlike those old good games like Operation Wolf, which was cartoonish and allowed kids to just express 
aggression without becoming violent. Violence is multifactorial. And again, a lot of times when you do research, you find positive results. And I, I think that's the Hawthorne effect or uh, the mm-hmm. Pavilion effect or one of those kind of terms for bias. So I've seen studies out there that suggest that wearing dark uniforms increases the aggression and crime in a local area. But you don't see anybody suggesting that the Oakland Raiders change their <laughs> outfits to pastel. Absolutely. There's also been questions about the accuracy of some of this research, and a lot of the courts have commented that certain studies had flaws in them and that there may have been problems with some of the meta-analysis where there was cherry-picking of the data. So I think we have to be very careful when we look at people who are activists who are also doing the research, because a lot of times there's been question about how good the research is. So I, I encourage you know mental health individuals to really read the studies and come up with their own opinion and conclusion and do more than just read the abstract with this. Absolutely. I, I concur entirely. The headlines don't always reflect the truth. Yep. The other example that you sometimes run into on what is healthy behavior, a lot of times people have tried to do strategies to engage youth to reduce violence. So you've seen like the Boys and Girls Club set up like a boxing competition or the police league, and and you have anecdotal stories of folks like Mike Tyson who said that their life was turned around because somebody took an interest and got them involved in boxing, and it saved them from the street. I've seen studies that also contradict that, that say if you take a child and expose them to martial arts or boxing, that that actually just increases their aggressive tendencies versus dropping. I think a lot of times it's not necessarily a population issue, but again, it's the individual you're looking at, how they're responding, how they take the intervention, and what the meaning of the stimulus is to them. Old-fashioned human interactions. Yep. Absolutely. Dr. Ryan Hall is a psychiatrist in Central Florida. He does a great deal of forensic work and general psychiatric work. Dr. Hall, thank you so much. This has been very interesting. Thank you, sir. Thank you.